When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Drivers of that caliber, they make you work hard. You always, there's always somebody that's going to be quicker than you, and that's your yardstick. And I figure, you know what? If you're going to exist in this game, that's what you have to go after. That's what you have to be. So you work hard, harder and harder. They make you a better driver. That's what I have an AJ Foy to think for. In order to find the best out of himself, Mario Andretti had to lean on other people, including one of the fiercest rivalries of his career in AJ Foyt. And we are here to discuss it all on this edition of the Next Level Podcast with Mario Andretti. My name is Andrew Curland, and today is a good one. You know, I feel like we talk so much about Mario Andretti's Formula One career, his indie career, but he also has a very impressive stat line in the NASCAR category in winning the Daytona 500. We dive into that race winning weekend, the car he won the race in, and uh, a few tricks that he made along the way to get that car to victory lane. We talk about the famous rivalry he had with AJ Foyt, the competition that they had between the two of them over the course of both of their careers, and it's time for some creativity stories. And I think the best, and I'll I'll leave it at this, the best story that comes out of this episode today has to do with air pressure and tape measures. And I will leave it at that. It is one of my favorite stories that we have over the entire two plus hours with Mario Andretti. Uh, and, And we'll wrap up the sit down portion, which you'll hear the rest of it today, talking about family and Mario Andretti's relationship with his kids, his grandkids, and the the racing careers that they have developed. Not to mention, we get some answers on Formula One today and the quest for Andretti Autosport and Cadillac to join the Formula One field. When I told people that I was going to have a conversation with Mario Andretti, that was probably the most asked for topic is ask him about Formula One and their pursuit to join the F1 field. So I did, and we got some answers from Mario that I'm sure many will be interested in hearing. So without further ado, let's get back into our conversation with Mario Andretti. You go and, and race the Daytona 500 yeah. and win it. Yeah. NASA, you know, people, people think of you as the... You know the F1 World Champion, the the Indy car, Indy Car Champion, Indy 500, and and I think NASCAR sometimes gets lost in in your in impressive resume. Yeah. What did the Daytona 500 victory mean to you? Oh, I mean, let's face it. Uh, I mean, it's a crown jewel of NASCAR, you know, and and um, yeah, I mean, winning that, uh, I look back at uh, it's more precious every year almost. And um, you feel like, you know, you belong with that family, too, you know. And, uh, and it was such an awesomely, very good experience for me because it was not a lucky win, in a sense. Lucky. I mean, uh, I led, you know, more, about half the race, more than half the race. And, uh, and I had good fights with all the great ones, you know. And uh, I had a great car. You know, Holman and Moody, you know, this, uh, they gave me a great car. And, um, and you know, without even knowing about setups or anything else, uh, I knew what I had under me and, um, and you know, tried, made the best of it. But uh, the satisfaction-wise, uh, it doesn't get much better than that, quite honestly, because that's definitely outside of your specialty. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, and to be able to do that, uh, yeah, 
Yeah, very rewarding, very rewarding. I heard there's something unique about your racing line in that race. Well, what was unique was the fact that, uh, you see, I, I didn't have uh, a very powerful engine, you know, to qualify when they, for single car qualifying. And uh, so, and, and I didn't know it then. I didn't know that what I was, how much, actually it was uh, an idle conversation with Donnie Allison that I had. I said, uh, what rev should I be pulling, I think, with a 370 gear? And he said, you should, you should be, by yourself, you should be pulling these 7,200 revs. I said, well, I think I'm about 400 revs short. Rev short. So, and, and in those days, uh, you had to race with what you qualify spoiler-wise. Mm -hmm. So, um, and I could not afford to go with a 45. I went with a 60 degree spoiler. And uh, I was warned by the, you know, Ford engineers too. I said, and the wind tunnel said, it's not going to be very good. And the I said, I have no choice. And, uh, and so that's it. But uh, then I started complaining, you know, to John Hallman. And he's the only one that actually heard me. And, uh, and they put a, a, an experimental engine, you know, in, in my car for me that was, came out of Detroit. And, uh, and in the, uh, the twin qualifiers, you know, there were 100 miles. Yep. Oh, first of all, before that, you know, we were, in those days the tires were really hard, you know, because it, they, they were still grooved, so, you know, they had to be, you know, the compound was hard. So I had to scuff some of the race tires. I was scuffing a little bit faster than what uh, uh, Curtis Turner was on pole. <laughs> And I, and I come in and I didn't have, all I knew was my res were up. And I was, whoo -hoo, I said, something good is happening here. And when I come in, Bob Cassidy was uh, one of the Firestone um, engineers. He came up and said, how you know how fast you were going? I said, I don't know. He said, you, he said, you were running, it was good. I felt really good going through the qualifiers. And, uh, but um, I, I just wanted to lead you know, and uh, and in those days, you know, if, and it was 100 miles, and so by really pushing, you had to make a pit, uh, fuel stop. And the guys that were winning those, they were drafting, 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 just and no pit stop. And so Freddie Lorenzen won it. But I felt good at going into the race. But I wanted to race that engine. And, and John Holman said, no way. No way you can, you know, that, that engine will explode, you know, this and that, but at least it'll be my glory, you know. <laughs> so the race engines come in, and uh, they all have a tag on there. And uh, so, and I asked this gentleman, who will remain unnamed, I said, uh, I said, what, um, can I see the power, the dyno sheets? He said, they're all within four to five horsepower. Oh, so I went over there and I swapped one of the tags, you know, for engine. Oh, you can't do that. <laughs> so I said, you know, the plumbing, everything is the same. Yeah. You can't do that. So that answered my question. So I went to John home and I said, John, I'm gonna, I want that engine. And he said, no. So he got Waddell Wilson. There's something I didn't know until they, what L. Wilson built my race engine for Daytona. Wow. And uh, I didn't know this until just, you know, late, you know, just a few years ago, huh. believe it or not, for my anniversary, you know, when I was invited at, at Daytona. Yeah. The good old What L., you know, he, he never got the credit for it. And that, that was another flyer, you know. The engine was as good as I had, you know, for, but it lasted. You know, and uh, so again, you know, I had the tools to work with. And the reason, like, you know, going back to what you're saying about riding high, I had to because the car was aerodynamic. The car was balanced uh, mechanically because we did some things, you know, in practice uh, to say, oh, man, it was loose, and especially drafting. And so I tried to do it mechanically, but then I was push and loose, you know what I mean? You cannot overcome that. So I said, you know what, 
I'm going to keep it neutral then, uh, you know, mechanically and deal with it. I had no choice. The, the thing that I had to do, be sure that if, if to be overtaken, usually I'd, have, I'd stay high, get somebody to overtake me on the inside. I tried really hard, you know, to, so I was riding high a lot, you know, I just, uh, I had to, I don't, I don't think I ever turned left. <laughs> I was going in the bank, you know, I just, you know, just, uh, I, I think uh, I saw the, the film, you know, later on, and, and Chris O'Connor oh, is it uh, Mario Andretti, I think he has uh, oil leak, you know, because I, I was smoking the right rear, going in turn one. You know, because sometimes I just, just enough, you know. And he thought it was an oil leak, you know, on, on, on the manifold or something, you know. <laughs> but, but uh, yeah, the car was, was, but it was manageable. I mean, it, it was, I had a feel for it, but I had to really be careful, you know, where I would ride. I really had to, you know, watch it. Because I was, you know, potentially easy, easier, could have spun that car very easily, you know. You know, you talked about the reason winning Daytona felt so good was in the fact that, you know, NASCAR wasn't necessarily something that you specialized in. And the fact that you can go and win that race. I heard you, and I love this analogy, I, I, I heard you describe being a race car driver as like an animal tamer. And each car is like a different animal that you have to tame and wrangle. How important was being versatile to you as a race car driver? Well, it's everything, you know. It's all about adapting. You know, a race driver, you know, as a race driver, you drive different cars. There's one feel, a feel of balance. You can feel no matter what you're driving. I mean, you're looking for that same feel. Um, somewhere you know enough to be able to help yourself and even make suggestions to the changes. Um, but you know, and if it's not your rodeo, you know, you're really depending more on, you know, uh, let's hopefully the car comes out of the truck, you know, mm -hmm. pretty well. So, and this was the case on this particular car, you know, with me. Um, was, I think I was lucky that it came out of the truck. And then uh, Jake Elder, you know, uh, suitcase Jake, as they called him, you know, a great guy. He, he was really good for me, you know, and... Uh, I didn't do this thing alone, you know, and, but like I said, I was not a favorite, you know, as even with Ford to win because uh, my teammate was Fred Lorenzen, I mean, and um, it was much more valuable uh, because as a matter of fact, I mean, when we come in for the last pit stop, uh, the, I was first, and he was second, and they let him out. They jacked my car up and they put Packers on the, on the spring, you know, they say, oh yeah, you know, they're trying to help you. I, said, I didn't ask for anything, you know, but they held me there until he was gone. And then, uh, then I just, uh, I was really upset, you know, but uh, I had a fast car. I caught up with him and then I figured, well, if I pass him, I'll never shake him, but I did. I passed him and then I said, that's all I can do. Mm -hmm. So because it's a lot easier for me to lead than to follow as far as the, well, the car would feel. And Freddie was wily, he was sharp. I mean, uh, I think I'll never shake him. And uh, Lord and behold, you know, we're coming up on some lap cars. And uh, we're coming up on Tiny Lund. He was driving for, for the Petties, the number 42. Coming out of turn two, he was a real gentleman. He pulled into the middle of the track and he motioned me to go with the outside. And I came right up and I went to the left. And I think this startled Freddie. And I think he backed up, he lifted. He must, he had to lift. And I came out on the other side, he was that big. And I shook him and he couldn't catch up with me. And, you know, obviously he never caught up with me because if he would have been on my tail, I would have never. And I think it was um, two or three laps to go, yellow came out. And they never restarted, so I won the race. But I, I had distance with him. I had several seconds, you know, on him. And uh, and here again, you know, Tiny Lund, you know, <laughs> didn't know how much he helped me. <laughs> you know? But uh, that, that was uh, 
I don't know what came to me. You know, I figured, you know, I just was a split second decision. I just figured, ah, I'm going to go this way instead of normally go on the outside. Because mm -hmm. he, he purposely went to the middle and pointed this way, you know. But just one of those things you get lucky, you know. Racing is full of famous rivalries. And I know when you think of, of who you competed most against, AJ Foyt's a name that comes up. How would you describe the, the, the rivalry with AJ Foyt? Well, you know, I, I'm, I look back, I'm thankful I was to have someone like him, you know, to have to, you know, perform up to that level coming in. I mean, he was five years my senior already, already a champion. And then everybody would tell you, I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you're gonna, even my chief, <laughs> Clint Bronner said, uh, you know, we were in the coin, I remember I was in the front row with him and he says, just bring the thing home. I says, <laughs> and I'm not gonna say what he said to me, but he said, uh, don't even think about beating Foyt, you know? <laughs> and I was a rookie, you know, but uh, uh, nevertheless, you know, it's, uh, it's drivers of that caliber, they make you work hard. You always, there's always somebody that's going to be quicker than you, and that's your yardstick. And I figure, you know what, if you're going to exist in this game, that's who you have to go after, that's who you have to be. So you work hard, harder and harder, they make you a better driver. That's what I have an AJ Foyt to think for. I mean, there were others, you know, but he was certainly one of them. Uh, like, you know, on the dirt, for instance, if uh, I was lucky enough that, uh, Dan Branson was the first one, I mean, going out to qualify before me, you know, the luck of the draw. Uh, I mean, I ran Dan Branson's line no matter what, because I knew he was the best, you know, in the dirt, smooth and everything. So he, 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 that's what you gotta look, you know, somebody is always better than you. And you learn from them. And then, you know, hopefully you'll prevail somehow, you know, and, uh, you know, to, like I always value like the performance uh, to finish second to somebody that you admire so much yeah. and you look up to. I mean, it's that good day, but when they finish second to you, mm. it doesn't get any better than it that. It doesn't. <laughs> I know your first champ car win, AJ Foyt finished second, <laughs> I think, in that race. How good did that feel? Good. Pretty good. good. <laughs> and it was a road race, too. That was, uh, it was a, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it raced for far. Where did the rivalry with AJ start? Well, it was in sprint cars too, you know, like uh, I remember that uh, we were at the Allentown Fair and uh, I was driving for um, Rufus Gray and sprint cars and, and I was really doing well. I mean, practice, I wanted heat and so forth and I was on pole in the future and he was fifth. and. And I was kind of a thorn on the side a little bit because I, you know, I was doing pretty good. And uh, so at the start, he definitely cheated the start. And he came, and from fifth, he came right down and he spun me going in turn one. And, uh, oh man, uh, that was a uh, disaster for me from my, all my family and everything. And USAC race, Foyt and all that. And so I got restarted, but I was a lap down. And my objective was to get up to AJ and do the same to him. And my car was really working. And I went through the whole field up to second, and I, luckily, I never got to him. Then, after the race, I got to reflect. I said, how stupid. Don't ever, ever, ever go in there with that thought again. Can you imagine me spinning AJ doing something like that or whatever? You know, and that really drove home something for me. It's so a blessing that I never caught up to him. But, you know, the rivalry was there because, uh, you know, I was a bit of a thorn on his side. So, you know, he didn't like me. And uh, it was fair enough. I knew that something you know, happened, I could run faster than him, you know. He's <laughs> bigger than me, so I had to run. <laughs> but uh, nevertheless, you know, and 
It's amazing how when time goes by, now we're the best buddies, you know. We're yeah. really good friends. I mean, looking back, we look at each other and say, we're still standing, you know, how good is that and all that. But looking back, as I said, it was, uh, I owe him a lot in that respect because I think it made me a better race driver. We like to talk, uh, you know, at the Dale Jr. Download, uh, here at Dirty Mo Media, uh, about, we call it creativity you know, ingenuity when it comes to finding little nuances with the car. Do you have any good creativity stories in terms of engineering the car and, and, and trying to get the best out of a vehicle? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> there are a lot of things that, uh, I mean, give you, for instance, uh, uh, you know, even testing for, uh, you know, for Firestone. Uh, I'm the first one that actually uh, identify the importance of stagger on the, on the super speedways. We always had equal tires, but I was testing in Hanford, California. That was in 69, and uh, they had, a, I was testing a new profile, low profile tire that uh, they never actually developed for, for racing, but somehow they wanted me to test them. For some reason, um, I'm, I'm going down the straightaway, you know, and the car is pulling to the left. But Hanford was a extended mile track. Turn one was tight radius, uh, like a uh, mile track was, the mile. And I was really quick through that tight radius corner. But I was, you know, giving away. You know, I was loose the rest of the way. So I come in and uh, said, uh, try to get a tape, you know, to measure, you know, the um, circumference of the tires. And sure enough, you know, the right rear circumference wise was like two tenths bigger than the left rear. So I said, okay, you know, I didn't say anything. So I put more cross weight in the car, went to the mechanical side to compensate. and. Uh, and then I told one of my engineers at uh, Firestone, which is the only time ever, ever, that I asked for something different, a favor. I said, um, this is happening. Because I always wanted to be honest with them. I said, but I want this feature, I want, it's mine, for the race, just for this race. I said, you gotta let me have that. And, um, and, and they agreed, you know, okay, it's nothing, you know, it's something that I'm doing, I'm doing it with tire pressure, you know, on, on the spec tire. And uh, I mean, I put the car on pole and, uh, and I just took off and the guy was next to me was uh, Al Anser with a Lola, which was really technically a better car. And uh, so the, by the third lap, there was a red flag because uh, uh, there was this big accident. Danny Ungayas, I think, had a huge accident. So here are the cars on the grid. And uh, Alonso was driving for Pernelli Jones. And the cars were on the grid there. And Pernelli is out there. He, he's eyeballing my car, eyeballing my car. And what make him go so fast? He's not supposed to be that much faster than us, you know? Yeah. And uh, I said, man, you can look all you want. I said, but unless you have a tape in your pocket. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, that was amazing, you know. And, uh, and when it comes to that, I used that bleep before they went to radios in Formula One, like even my championship years. I used to use that trick in Formula One. Huh. And that's why I brought in uh, Kenny Shemansky, you know, was, uh, as my tire man from here. And I used to measure all the, have every tire and select my sets. And, uh, and you know, in, in Formula One, usually the biggest corners are always to the right, so it's the opposite. So I used to be able to just do it with very little tire pressure with before the radio with the uh, cross ply construction you could change the circumference of the tire by just going up one or two pounds or right. one or the other 
And then, so I used to play with Stagger. Nobody knew that. Wow. But then I used to come in and I would ask Colin, I said, go up, you know, up on one side and down on the other side to keep the same right height, but put some cross weight in the car. He didn't know what I was, he said, what are you doing that for? I said, just never mind. You know, and I was doing a lot of that. That was really working for me, you know, so. Um, and, you know, you just try every little thing you can and, and you, uh, things that you can keep for yourself. Why are you doing that? Well, I'm doing that. And I used to play with front Ackerman as well, you know. And uh, all the, these are all the nuances that really, when you, once you had the sweet spot, I needed just a little more or something. I remember in 82 when I, was, when I put the Ferrari on pole in Monza, mm -hmm. the only adjustment that I made from my last run was just Ackerman change on the front. You know, like shortening one side, lengthening the other side where the wheels, the inside wheel opens up more on the right mm -hmm. side. And I used to have that trick and I used that all the time. It was just the last finest thing to just give me that, uh, you know? And uh, yeah, and uh, I used that in Indy cars also, you know, I didn't want no road courses and whatever. But uh, uh, these are some of the things that, you know, you learn and like I said, um, I'll go back to uh, testing, you know, with Firestone, I used to be able to test a lot of these things. You had that luxury and I used to go do this, do that. Why are you doing that? Yeah. Just want to try something. Yeah, right. Yeah. What would you like? Did anyone see you measuring tires and like ask about oh, it? Like, yeah. what would you say? Yeah, well, they did. You know, and, you know it's amazing that uh, the um, in, in Europe we used to we saw one of those tree tapes and uh, and then you know teams you know started seeing that right so um, and and they said what's and he's telling me oh these are special tapes Mario gets gets made you know in, in America <laughs> you can go to the hardware store and buy one for 18 bucks <laughs> so, <laughs> so these guys used to, I used to bring two or three home and these guys used to go to the other team and sell them to the other team for about 300, 300? 300 pounds or wow. something. <laughs> well, that was all, you know, so they could put the money back for the year-end party, you know Oh what my mean? gosh. That's how you made your money then, right? <laughs> <laughs> so those three tapes were really, you know, they were hard to get. Hard to find. Hard, hard to, to find. find. <laughs> Could you imagine one of them goes to your hardware? That looks just like what I just bought, but it's a lot cheaper. I guess the ones Mario's giving yeah, me is, yeah. you know, a little nicer. <laughs> You're not going to tell anybody this, are you? No, no, we're not filming this or anything like that. No, this will be this will be between between you and me. <laughs> um, how were the year-end parties then? They had, oh, the budget good, had to be pretty really good. Good, yeah, yeah. yeah. Those parties were awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Oh gosh, where do we go from there? That's the big question. Um, it, you know, Formula. Let's go. Let's go back to Formula One. Um, it, what ultimately drove you away from Formula One? Because I know you kept racing in the IndyCar series well beyond your Formula One career. Yeah. What, what led to the end of that? Well, I think uh, uh, there was the factor was that uh, seemed like. Uh, once the other teams started, you know, getting onto the ground effects and so forth, some were doing a little better job than we were, mainly because even the Lotus 80, for instance, was aerodynamically was awesome. But it was just like uh, a lady, you dress her beautifully, but she has cancer, you know, in her mm. body, because the tub, they never changed the tub. So the more downforce that obviously we were you know, getting out of that the, the design, the stiffer you had to make the car. So the stiffer you made the car when it was, you know, we were getting, we were breaking uh, suspension mounts, you know, and it needed to have a stiffer chassis, which meant weight. Mm -hmm. And Colin resisted that tremendously. And I could just not make the point, 
you know. And uh, I know we were in Spain one time. Uh, uh, that's a long story. Uh, we put a car on jacks. We put the string in the cockpit, you know. And then we started jacking. The string was going, uh -uh, uh -uh, you know, the string was moving. I said, I could, because, uh, you know, I, I used to use the curbs a lot, you know. And once you use the curb, like the car used to, the, the, the balance of the car would change. We could never benefit from the, the because Lotus City had, was really well done, you know, aerodynamically, you know, they actually extended diffusers and a lot of good things, but uh, I could not get the idea. And, and uh, I just, uh, again, uh, just all of a sudden lost touch of what really the real thing was. And uh, then, I, <clears throat> I, then I went to Alfa Romeo and, and I had it, a choice from the sponsor they had, Marvel, to either do, uh, to go to McLaren. I was asked to go to McLaren. You know, I could have had a job at McLaren uh, or Alfa Romeo. And I went with my heart. I chose Alfa Romeo, but I thought, because the last race of the season with Watkins Glen, uh, uh, Giacomelli uh, led the race really in good style, and, uh, and it was unfortunate because those guys, I chose that because I thought they were more reliable, you know, and they were. But he, you know, he dropped out of the race. I forget even what it was, but he was really, so the last race season, so, and I, Johnny Morelli was one of the engineers there and knew him very well, came from Ferrari. So I'm going there. And I think it was a mistake because uh, the following year, the new rule came out that uh, they were trying to uh, minimize some of the ground effect, yeah. ground force. So they devised a specific ride height that you could have. Mm. And uh, so going out of the pits, there was a select a box that you had to clear. And coming back into the pits during practice, you had to clear the same box. Mm -hmm. Well, the first race of the season, we were in Argentina and and Nelson Piquet and Abraham, I mean, he was miles ahead of everybody. And soon we find out he devised a hydraulic system oh. where, where, where the brown wits, it's out there. And, uh, and he would clear the box and drop the car and then come back and in, lift the car again. And everybody else did it. <laughs> And Alfa Romeo, our engineer, Carlo Chitti, he says, oh, I cannot go outside the regulation. If we get uh, protested, he said, uh, we'll embarrass the brand. They know we cannot afford that. And I thought that I almost, you know, got out of the car in Belgium and, and, and quit that year. We fought him, we fought him. He would not do what every other team had. Every other team yeah. had the hydraulic system, except us. And I said, I said Marco Giacomelli, I said, come on. And I could not penetrate him. And we were testing at Paul Ricard in June. And I said to Johnny Morelli, you know, he didn't dare, you know, over, look that. And I said, let's lower the car where the sweet spot is. And I went out there, I was right on pace right on pace with the car. And, and I just could not convince them to do that. And uh, that was really the most frustrating year. And that's what made me quit Formula One then. And, and um, you know, I was, it was fine with that. I mean, uh, you know, uh, if I would have had, you know, the ride, like if I would have gone with McLaren, I probably would have had a couple more years for sure, for sure. My objective was always then to come back you know, and continue my career in IndyCar, no question. Uh, I mean, as it was, I mean, I think it was the right decision. I won 18 more IndyCar races, uh, yeah. you know, after coming back, another championship and stuff. It was a, a wonderful, wonderful uh, stretch that I had with Paul Newman, Carl Haas, you know, the Newman Haas team that uh, I think I had some influence in putting them together. And uh, so, uh, a lot of good things happen after that, for sure. 
your last F1 race was uh, in the Caesars Palace parking lot in Las Vegas. Yeah. Uh, what do you remember about that, and what do you think about F1 returning to Vegas this year? Well, first of all, in that race, you know, that's, that's after I put the car on pole in Monza yeah. and, and was on podium, you know, but um, in that particular race, just to tell you, I dropped out with a, with a broken wishbone. Mm. We were getting so much vibration out of the tire because the, the uh, you know, uh, the turbocharged, the 1.6 liter engine they had at the time, uh, when the power kicked on, it was so much more power. We were getting a lot of wheel spin, so incredible amount of vibration. I said, how do we avoid that? We could not figure it out. And the vibration is what snapped my uh, the wishbone, the rear wishbone, so that put me out of the race, unfortunately. Um, but, um, you know, it was wonderful that I was able to at least finish my Formula One career, if you will, you know, uh, substituting uh, Ferrari, you know, right. in 82, and having a good time in Monza of all places, you know. Uh, but. Um, what do you think of racing uh, going back to Vegas this year? I think it's phenomenal, you know. I mean, uh, the way that they're going about it, the preparation. I mean, at that time, you know, it was basically, you know, trying to make something out of a large parking lot, you know, behind mm -hmm. Caesar's Palace, you know, because I raced there in Indy cars after, after Formula One as well. And, uh, but um, uh, what they're doing now is phenomenal, you know, because uh, actually uh, the paddock area and everything else is gonna be, you know, it's there, you know, it's, it's gonna remain there. Uh, all the rest is temporary, the rest of the circuit is, but uh, uh, the infrastructure, if you will, for, for the event itself is going to be permanent. Yeah. You know? So there's a huge investment they have there and uh, they have a long-term, uh, I think, contract for this race, which they should, obviously, for that kind of an investment. So can you imagine, I mean, you got three marquee Formula One races here in the United States, you know, with, uh, of course, um, it started out with the new infrastructure, I mean, it, the new beautiful track that uh, Austin, you know, yep, Coda, you know, which um, mirrors, you know, all the best tracks anywhere on the planet, road courses, and, uh, and then, you know, look at the, incredible presentation in Miami, wonderful job. I mean, actually, uh, this year, I think it produced a really one of the best races in, in recent times, quite honestly. And then, um, of course, Vegas. But, uh, you know, there's so much interest, you know, in Formula One, which is good for the sport in general, for sure. You know, you draw um, a lot of new fans, you know, which, uh, I will be curious to watch some of the other disciplines, you yeah. know, like IndyCar and all that, because IndyCar has a lot to offer nowadays. It's a great it's, product. It's a great product. You just said a great product. Yeah. I, you mentioned there's a lot of interest, obviously, on the team side, Andretti Autosport and, and Cadillac. You guys are looking to enter the F1 arena. How is that process going in terms of applying and, and, and your bid to uh, join the F1 field? Well, as we stand, everything is in place. You know, the process is uh, continuing and that's um, predicated. And, uh, you know, we should have, uh, Michael actually said this in Miami, you know, he said it openly that, that we should have a, a decision sometime in the middle of July. Mm -hmm. uh, that's what we've been told. Um, the fact that uh, uh, General Motors with the Cadillac brand uh, has committed to Formula One is historically valuable. Yeah. Because General Motors has never been officially uh, involved in, in Formula One. And uh, it's a wonderful thing. And there's so much excitement, you know, within the company there. Because, uh, you know, you know how they're actually uh, what they're doing with the Cadillac brand, even in IMSA and sports prototypes, you know, where it's been a absolute, you know, it's been a winner, we know that. And, um, and they just want to go to the highest level of the sport, you know, the Olympics of motorsports and be part of it. And, um, you know, 
they definitely have want to have their own engine by 2026 with their new regulations. So, uh, but they they're adamant that we compete at least in a full season of 2025. Mm -hmm. You know, to be able to get everything organized. So, with the new engine, new rules in 26, we're you know ready to to be ready to deal with the best of them. You know. You said in July you'll 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 get those answers. Uh, you feel pretty good about it. How how, how do you feel about uh, you know? The, I'm the I'm optimistic, ones? absolutely. I mean, because uh, I don't know. I mean, any 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 one of our disciplines, you know, to have another manufacturer yeah. come in is huge. huge. The manufacturer are the bread and butter of an industry, clearly. And uh, to have this clear commitment, you know, with the Cadillac brand, um, there's a lot of pride that goes into it from, uh, you know, to have a full American team, you know. I mean, I would like to think that Formula One would embrace that, you know, since they even have three races here um, in this country, uh, to have uh, what is designated full American. You know, Michael has uh, obviously, uh, Promise he would have at least one American driver, you know, uh, right from the beginning. So, um, yeah. And Michael, I mean, openly they uh, committed to have a team in Formula 3 and Formula 2 mm -hmm. as well. You know, there's no other Formula 1 team that I know that is doing that. So, this, this is a big, long-term commitment. And I can't see how this cannot be good for Formula One and for racing in general. I mean, this is really, uh, so uh, we're very serious about it. You mentioned Michael, obviously, and Andretti Autosport family plays a huge role. What's it like that, you know, your, your kids and, and, and John have taken after racing and, and, you know, have the same interests as you? Well, that's the thing. I think I always said that uh, Aldo and I, my twin brother Aldo and I, started yeah. this mess, yeah. you know. <laughs> and uh, overall, now we have uh, actually four drivers on my side of the family that have been, and four on his side. So wow. there have been eight of us that are, you know, doing some racing. And so uh, it's interesting that uh, it went that way, you know. Uh, but. Um, the passion is within the family, obviously, uh, and it's contagious, as you mm -hmm. can see, because uh, uh, some of the uh, younger ones are just pursuing this, and, uh, and who knows, you know, like uh, Michael, one of the twins that he has, he has <laughs> the boy and a girl, but uh, the, the boy's name is Mario. Even answers, the only answers to Rio, they call him Rio, but the poor kid, they named him Mario. <laughs> and uh, and he's, uh, he's already in, in, he's, he's, uh, in go-karts, um, you know? It's just beginning, isn't <laughs> it? <laughs> How's it watching your kids, watching John, and now watching uh, the twins in go-karts, how is that? Is it different compared to you racing? Is it a different feeling as, as a parent, as a grandparent? Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. But, um, <clears throat> you know, it's interesting, you know, you mentioned this, uh, you know, looking back as, uh, as a family, what we derived, what we got from the sport. You know that Michael and I were on podium in an IndyCar race 15 times. That's so cool. And it was five, 10, and 15, five times first and second. Uh, 10 times on the front row of an IndyCar race. And uh, as a family in 1986, uh, the Pocono 500, it was, um, Jeff was driving, younger son Jeff was driving the air race, which Jeff, is the Indy yeah. Lights. He was on pole for the Indy Lights race, and he won the Indy Lights race, which was a supporting race. Michael was on pole for the 500, and I won the 500. Between mm -hmm. the three of us, you know, as a family, I mean, we celebrated. Nobody else really paid attention to that, but we knew. So it, the sport has given us so much, you know, as a family. And as you can see on Aldo's side, in uh, 93, Milwaukee, Michael first, my nephew John second, and I was third. In 91 and 92, 
there were four of us qualified for the 500. It was Michael, Jeff, John, and myself. And it never happened before or since four members of the same family qualified for this race, you know, the Indy 500. So again, as a family, how could you ask for anything more? Yeah. Know? That is cool. It. Yeah. Did you race, did you guys all race each other harder? Like how, how, how'd you race each other on oh, track? Oh my goodness. Uh, Anne used to go crazy, you know, <laughs> because uh, Michael and I, it just, she said, how come every time they, you overtake each other, you have to just touch wheels or something? <laughs> I said, well, you know, <laughs> yeah. I said, hey, neither one wants to give up anything. I said, we're not going to be dangerous to one another. I said, but it's going to be a tough yeah. one. Michael, Michael says, uh, and my dad, he says, my dad was the toughest one to overtake, even when, when he was being lapped. <laughs> <laughs> Gosh. Yeah, and what were the dinner table conversations like after quiet, that? Very, quite like that. Very quiet. Yeah, you know, uh, <laughs> I would say you you uh, you did pretty good for someone who makes bread. I would say. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, there you heard from Mario Andretti, and we are bringing in, as always at the end of these shows, uh, one of our team members here at Dirty Mo Media, Dustin Lee, is joining us. And Dustin, what what, what would you uh, call your title here at Dirty Mo? Man, it absolutely includes too many things, <laughs> but if I could say what I was the best at, I would say it would be editing. I would call myself a senior editor, but I'm also a cinematographer, videographer, I do a lot of audio engineering, uh, sound design, graphics, you name it. We do a little bit of it all here. Jack of all trades. And a master of none. And former producer of the Dale Jr. Download, right? For a few years, yeah. We actually started this show with Mike Davis and Taylor Zarzer in 2013. Dang. It's been a long road. That's a throwback. It's been a long road. <laughs> well, you were uh, you were on set with us at, at the Mario Andretti shoot in Indianapolis. Um, what were just your, your overall impressions of, of the conversation with Mario? And, and, and maybe you can give us a little behind the scenes on, on how all that got set up. Because I saw how much work you guys put into that whole production. Yeah, you know, I've got to say, uh, after doing interviews for years, I mean, I've been do a, I mean hundreds of different interviews hundreds of different interviewees and Mario Andretti seemed to be one of the most warm humble accepting yeah individuals that I've ever had the pleasure of working with it just seemed like there was nothing that was going to get in the way of him telling his story and telling it in a way that you almost felt like you were there or included I mean he is just a an amazing storyteller. Yeah. I mean, he was he was not short at all in terms of the details that he would share. I mean, yep. heck, even, I mean, you were there before we even started recording. He started telling stories. It's like, wait, hold on. We got to, we got to get the cameras rolling first. We took off. We were, we were, as soon as he walked in the door, he he saw, uh, what car was that? Uh, it was his 67 60, pole winner, I want to say. 67 pole yeah. winner. Beautiful car. And as soon as he saw that, I mean, he just lit up. Yeah. And there was no looking back from there. You know, the, the production of this shoot was very in-depth. It was, there was a lot that went into it. I mean, heck, we drove a whole Chevy Suburban down to or up to Indianapolis with gear uh, how much prep work goes into a production like this you know it's uh it's a lot of work we usually spend one to two days just kind of prepping gear and making especially when we're traveling because if you leave something behind then there's no turning around to go get it especially when you're driving from Mooresville <laughs> to Indianapolis yeah so you got to be you know triple check all your stuff make sure you have everything and honestly we we work on framing and, and ideas for the run a show before we get there just so we're prepared but really we're just leaning on andrew for his expertise yeah that's right yeah uh no i i mean i i put in some heavy lifting before the uh production started too i was the uh i was the guy who had to sit in the chair make sure all the framing was correct it exactly was a pretty easy job we run lean here we run lean <laughs> not yeah. only is he producing and interviewing he's also <laughs> our stand-in yeah 
where would we be without a good stand-in, right? Exactly. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, so this episode, you know, we talked about a number of things from Mario winning the Daytona 500. Beautiful to, story. To uh, his exit of Formula One, future plans of Formula One. Um was there anything because i know you're you're kind of in the process of of editing all the videos that we see on our dirty mo media youtube page which i suggest everyone go check it out because his facial expressions make so much of a difference in terms of being able to watch him tell a story was there any one particular story that has stood out to you so far in the, in the ones that you've cut i've got like going back to our conversation a second ago you know the his he is so in depth on some of these stories that I found myself having to go back and listen again yeah. after I've edited just to kind of piece everything back together and get an idea of what he was talking about. But, you know, one that really stood out to me was the Daytona 500. And, you know, I think, Andrew, you even opened the question as like, this win gets overlooked or yeah. overshadowed in the the uh, immense list of wins and everything else that you've done with your career but just listening to him talk about driving a stock car after never having done so before correct i think a handful of starts handful of potentially yeah okay. but that was that was kind of just like buckle up and go yeah you know? the idea that you could just hop in a car and go win one of the biggest nascar races ever is just mind blowing, and hearing him hearing him talk about finding the balance in the car, mm-hmm. and talking about some of the drawbacks of the car. Like he maybe shouldn't have won that race, but he knows how to drive cars. He knows how to find the balance. Um, I think he said at one point, Chris McConaughey, yeah, McConaughey thought he had an oil leak because instead of because he was riding so high right? yeah <laughs> he instead of like going up and turning into the corner he was kind of driving the track more like a diamond and like smoking the tires yep. in the, cor- yeah. in the corner yeah <laughs> it's wild yeah and he was just like yep that's how i'm that's how i'm gonna drive the car who you know? does that <laughs> mario andretti, mario I guess andretti. oh yeah that, that, that was a great that was a great story but yeah like you said there were so many i had to go listen back to it a few times and i was almost when I was re-listening to it, I was almost trying to, I was hanging on like it was the first time I was hearing the story. There were, there were punchlines and certain details I completely forgot until I went back and listened to it. So let's, um, even from the Daytona 500 story alone, I think he, what does he, does he reference the tires? No, I think he's talking about No, so that's later okay, where he yeah, talks yeah. about the, the measure measurements and uh, right. discovering stagger and, how he would sell tape measures for three hundred dollars and right. buy it just the hardware store. Like I forgot those little details. So good. Oh man, it was. Well, Dustin, thanks for taking some time to, to tell us a little bit about the the behind the scenes work that goes into these next level productions. And uh, the next episode, we're going to the front stretch, talking to Mario out there about those iconic Indy five hundred wins. And I, you know, I put the wins and then you know asterisks because well, one of them was taken away. And we'll leave it at that because, uh, well, you'll just have to tune in to next episode to uh, see what he says about winning the Indianapolis 500 and the 1981 Indianapolis 500 that got away from him. Thanks so much for listening to the Next Level Podcast. Make sure you check it out on YouTube as well. Like we said, you got to see Mario's face when he tells some of these stories. We'll be back with one more final edition of this Next Level series with Mario Andretti. Check out Dirty Mo Media on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Dirty Mo. Dirty Mo.